I'll read uh, our scripture that we'll be meditating on this morning from Luke 5. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, sometimes in our arrogance and stubbornness or just plain apathy, we underestimate our need for you and your love for us. Help us to receive your word today from your servant as the balm that we truly need. Thank you for all the teachers who have taught this morning, um, for they themselves are not perfect, but faithfully prepare and bring your word to us anyway. Thank you for your spirit, too, who enables us to receive the word, each of us, in the ways that we need to hear it in Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, good morning. Luke 5, great little text here for us. I was having some conversations with folks this week about their experience at the January series at Calvin University. Uh, some of you maybe uh, had the opportunity on Monday to hear Alice Marie Johnson, uh, a, a woman who was incarcerated uh, at a relatively young age, she was a mother. Uh, she got into a difficult situation in life, uh, made some bad choices, got connected with some bad people, uh, and ended up being a telephone mule for a drug ring. Uh, the problem was, uh, I mean, there's a lot of problems with that, uh, but uh, don't recommend that. Uh, when it came to sentencing for her, as this drug ring was exposed, even though she had never touched drugs, she had never actually interacted with people, either those who were buying drugs or those who were selling them, she was just simply a person that passed numbers from one to another. She was convicted under federal laws uh, that uh, tied the whole conspiracy together, and she was sentenced to a, a life without parole. Uh, they told her as she went into prison, the only way that you are coming out of here is as a corpse. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine just the, the level of isolation that you would have at, at that particular moment, you know, knowing that you have a, a uh, young family, kids that are depending on you, knowing that you have uh, mother, father, sisters, brothers that, that love you, all of those things, the, the level of isolation that would be there would be overwhelming. 
I thought of that story. I didn't get a chance to hear her, but I was able to go back and read a lot of her story, listen to an interview with her and Katie Couric. You know, you can find a lot of stuff on that old internet. Uh, But uh, I I thought of her as we're entering into this story in Luke 5 and and the, the story of this leper that is healed because leprosy was very much an isolating situation. And what we're in need of, whether you are Alice Marie uh, Johnson or whether you are uh, this leper in Luke 5, you are in need of somebody from outside of your situation to break in and to give you freedom. And this is what we've been talking about as we go through the series in Luke. We're talking about the way that uh, God, the supernatural, breaks down as it were, the floors that separate the upper story, the upstairs uh, of our world where we put things spiritual, like our, you know, our sense of relationship with God, miracles, all of those. We put all of those in the upper story, upstairs in our house. And then we have the downstairs. We have the lower story, places, things where we put stuff like you know, our, our jobs and, and our relationships with our families and our health and uh, all of these different things. This is the things that we can like see, taste, touch, the things that belong to the material world. We separate those. And, and what the scriptures are telling us is that when we, when we are participants in the reign of Jesus that has begun, like we just sang about, his reign on earth begun, that the, the upper story and the lower story collapse. And, and, and the, there's an invasion, as it were, uh, of God and all of his bigness and wholeness and the supernatural into our lives. Uh, and that's where this story leads us again. And we're going to see it in a very uh, particular way. Last week, we looked at how It affected things like vocation and calling and uh, all of those different things. The the effect of identity uh, as Jesus' miracle broke in, as he, the great catch of fish, Peter, all of those. Today you're going to see a a comprehensiveness to what is happening because the problem of leprosy, and this is the, the first point, is a comprehensive problem. So first of all, a word about leprosy. Uh, some of you are familiar with it. You've heard of it. A lot of us have, you know, visions of leprosy being this disfiguring disease in which fingers and ears and things like that falls off. And that can happen uh, with a particular form of leprosy called Hansen's disease. A lot of times it happens because you lose sensation in your extremities and so you burn them or run into things and you become disfigured in that way because you're not feeling what is happening to you. Most of the time when the Bible talks about leprosy, it's not talking about Hansen's disease. Uh, It's talking about a much broader range of skin diseases. Uh, We know that just from the way that it talks about it. We also know that it it may not have been that Hansen's disease was even endemic to that region at that time. Uh, So it's talking about a much broader range of skin diseases. And what would happen is if you would get a skin disease, either in your scalp or in your face or hands or whatever, you'd have to go to the priest and you'd have to show them the disease, and then he would declare you, this was the job of the priest, which is an interesting point in and of itself. 
You know, we, we put uh, sort of health into the realm of science. We wouldn't think about going to our minister uh, and asking for health advice. And I don't advise that necessarily. Uh, but it is an interesting intersection, the way that God thought about these things. So they would go to the priest, and the priest would then declare them either clean or unclean. Now, it was a terrible thing to be declared unclean. Uh, listen to this from Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. Um, he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Wow, that is terrible. Uh, I mean, just think about all the levels that that uncleanness affects him. You know, you obviously have a relational level. Uh, your family, your friends, you're now unclean. No longer can you interact with them. You're outside the camp. You're, you're pushed away. Uh, it has a spiritual dimension to it. There's so much about, you know, early life where their, their religion and their relationship with God was tied up in the community and temple worship and tabernacle, you know, all of those things. And, and if you couldn't go to that, who was making sacrifices for you? How were you approaching God? I mean, you were, you were cut off from the ordinary means of grace, as it were, in those days. You were cut off economically. Uh, you're outside the camp. You can't come into contact with people. You can't work. You can't support a family. Not only is that an economic blow, but that's sort of a, a teleological blow. It's a, it's a blow to our sense of self and purpose. You, know, you, you have no sense that you, you matter to any, you become a nothing in every sense of the word. So your sense of self is, is really. Uh, is really diminished. You even see that in this man as he comes to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, if you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't believe that he's worth it. He doesn't believe that, that Jesus will see him and that Jesus will move to interact and engage in his situation. I know some of you maybe feel like that. Uh, the, the, the way that life has come in. Some of it may be physiological, uh, a disease that you have, a deformity that is obvious and has isolated you, pushed you to the fringes of society, and you begin to feel like less than a person. Maybe you've gone through a divorce, and relationally, you know what that's like to be marked with that D and you are feeling the isolation that comes along with these things. Or you've been a victim of abuse in some way, shape, or form. And, and you recognize what it's like uh, to, to feel this type uh, of shunning, this type of isolation. Um, there's a further sense in which we approach this leprosy. And we see it not only in terms of our, our physical condition... But really, and I think this is true all throughout the scriptures, leprosy is, is sort of a parable for our spiritual condition. Uh, so we certainly don't just spiritualize this. You know, I've just said there are so many ways in which we see this on a physical level. 
but spiritually as well. Think about the way sin operates in our life. I mean, sin, and you take any host of sin, I, I call these things uh, uh, fruit sins, you know, like envy. You know, you're jealous of that relationship that that girl has or, you know, this uh, position that this guy has, all of these things. You think about, um, uh, think about anger and just being eaten up by a root of bitterness and it comes out in various ways. Uh, you think about a, uh, a, a, a lack of generosity in your life where you just can't share with anybody and there's, there's so little joy. These are all sort of fruit sins. Ultimately, they come down to not believing you know, that God loves us, that God ha has intervened in our life and that we are deeply, deeply loved. Uh, but it, it infects us. And when you're angry, when you're jealous, when you are, are not content, you, you're pushing people away. You find yourself isolated, your communities, uh, you know, the people that you could draw close to if you're willing to be vulnerable, uh, it's hard to, to go into that. And, of course, that can affect everything from your spiritual life, of course. You know, if you can't bring that before the Lord and repent and, and honesty, it's such an invitation to be vulnerable, lay that stuff out before the Lord. If you can't uh, if you hang on to that anger, it's going to affect your spiritual life. We recognize that. It could affect your economic life. So many ways, you know, sin operates like leprosy. Uh, Jesus says about Satan, the enemy, he said, he's come to, to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, these are, sin is a, is a robber that erects itself in our life and pushes us into places of isolation on all of these different levels. So in that sense, when, when we read this, we can really relate to Alice Marie Johnson and what it means to be locked away without parole. We can relate to this leper who is pushed outside of the city and no longer has the option for contact. And that's why there's just this, you, you see the glimmer of hope with this guy. You know, he, he comes and he, he's heard about this Jesus. He's heard about some of the healings that he's done. He's heard about the catch of fish. He's heard about the cleansing of a, of a, of a demoniac and tossing out of a demon. And, and so he comes to Jesus and he throws himself on his face and he begs him and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. This is the cry of someone who is truly desperate. This is the cry of someone who has nowhere else to turn. This is the cry of someone who is really, really hungry. And I want you to just note a couple of things. One, uh, Jesus does not shun him at all. Nobody is a nobody to Jesus. Uh, everybody counts. Because Jesus knows that if everybody doesn't count, then ultimately nobody counts. Uh, and he looks at this man and he says, whatever disfigurement he has, whatever he's brought, there is an acceptance, there is a welcome here. Whatever it is that marks you, uh, whether it is the, the sins of your own doing, whether it's the victimization that you have had at the hands of others, whatever that is, come bring it to me. Bring it to me, and I will. 
I, I just love that. You know, hello. I, I, I will. I want to extend my healing touch to you. I want for you to experience a cleanliness. I want you to be set free. I want you to be returned to all of the places which sin and the brokenness of this world has isolated you and put you in. I want you to know the deep and the rich love of God. And he reaches out his hand and he touches him. And immediately immediately, this is a Markin word that uh, kind of found its way into Luke, immediately, uh, this man was made clean. Uh, the power of Jesus, uh, you know, his reign on earth begun absolutely because when the glory of God breaks into our sin-sick world, it makes a difference. And Jesus immediately uh, touches this man in such a way that he is cleansed from his disease. And note that, uh, I don't know what, somewhere in subpoints there in point two, but uh, note this, uh, he doesn't just heal him of his disease. Uh, he returns him to everything that he's lost. You know, when he says, uh, don't tell anybody, go show the priest, a couple of reasons, you know, what, why is he telling him not to tell everybody? Well, there could be a couple of reasons for that. One, there's this sort of, if you read in Jesus' early ministry and other places, there's this thing that we call the messianic secret where Jesus is telling people not to tell people about what he's doing. Uh, and, and part of the reason for that is he's very aware that his hour, and he's talking about the time of his death, has not come. And so he's he's sort of gauging how his life goes with respect to the hour. That could be part of it. But I think probably in this case, more directly, it's like, don't tell anybody because I want you to go immediately to the priest because the priest is the one who can restore to you all that you've lost. You know, don't delay. Quickly go so that you can gain back all of the things that you have lost so that you can be returned to your family. You can feel that, that embrace once again of, of your spouse, your loved one, your kids, your family. Be returned to your job, your occupation. You can have a sense of self, a sense of worth. Be returned to the synagogue where you can have a sense of spiritual community. You can grow in your relationship with, with God. Jesus says, don't delay. Allow this, this overarching, overwhelming healing to come and, and to infiltrate every aspect of who you are. And it's just such an invitation to, to recognize that Jesus isn't just interested in, a, uh, in this guy's leprosy, but he wants him to be restored uh, in all of these different ways. One of the things that's so fascinating about this encounter between Jesus and the leper is that ordinarily, uh, if, if you or if I were to come into contact with somebody who is unclean, uh, I, as a clean person, uh, would become unclean. So this is probably what's at the heart of Jesus' parable with the Good Samaritan, where you've got uh, the Levite and the teacher of the law who cross over to the other side of the street when they see this man lying by the side of the road who they presume is dead. Well, if he's dead, he's unclean. 
And, and they're going to the, the temple in order to work, and they can't come into contact with this uncleanness because then they themselves will become unclean and they will be uh, ineligible for their work. But it doesn't work that way with Jesus. Jesus is of a different sort, uh, where he comes into contact with the unclean, and the unclean becomes clean. The unclean, uh, all of that leprosy is now become fresh, pink, soft skin that is glowing with health because they have come into contact with Jesus. And this is still our invitation today. I, I don't know exactly what you've come here with, you know, whether it's, it's your burdens uh, things that have happened to you, things that you have done. The invitation is to an encounter with Jesus who is willing, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's clinging to you, he is willing to receive you and he is willing to extend to you uh, a, 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 a powerful injection of grace that will make you clean. So what we were talking about in Ezekiel, you know, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will take away your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will cleanse you from all your uncleannesses. This has always been what the promise of the scriptures is about. And we see it so clearly in Jesus. There's one more thing to note about this. You know, as Jesus touches this man, the unclean becomes clean. But it's not that Jesus doesn't become unclean. Jesus actually does become the ultimate in unclean. He, he takes on all of the brokenness that this man has experienced. He takes on the leprosy. He takes on all of the brokenness that we have experienced, that we have perpetrated uh, in the recesses of our heart. And he becomes the ultimate leper. Uh, in that he is crucified outside of the city walls, suspended between heaven and earth, not belonging to anyone, feeling the rejection. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus becomes the ultimate leper in order that we might become the fruit of cleanliness, uh, shining in his garden. He is a lovely savior. When we're talking about his reign, we're not talking about a tyrant. We're talking about someone who comes and offers clemency uh, in the midst of a sentence that we could never get out of on our own. We are offered hope, mercy, undeserved, but simply out of the great love of God our Savior. That's what Alice Marie Johnson experienced after 20 plus years in jail. She was offered clemency by President Trump. Uh, she was uh, set free. And, and she talks about that moment of being set free. She talks about, you know, hugging her children. She talks about, uh, you know, hearing the, the weeping and the joy of all those that loved her. One of the things that was most impactful that she talked about was the other inmates. When, when she was set free, 
She says that whole prison, and she had done a lot in prison in order to uh, not grow bitter. Uh, She was a woman of faith, pursued her relationship with God, sought to serve the other inmates that she was with, wrote plays, performed them, uh, became a minister in in the prison and ministered the, the grace of Jesus. She said when she walked out, she said every woman in that prison was standing in her cell at the window, banging, crying, shouting her name because they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed that she had been set free, that she experienced that grace. And they, uh, they knew it in a way that none of us could know it because we've never been incarcerated like that. They, they knew what it was like to be set free. They knew what she was experiencing. Their heart was crying out. But what the scriptures invite us to is to say, we do know what it's like to be set free from our sin. We do know what it's like to feel the touch of Jesus. And and, and part of what we see here is that we are invited to adopt a posture that shows forth this gospel. We are invited, like those women in the, in the prison, to shout and exclaim and praise God for all of the things that he has done. How do we do that? Well, I want to suggest to you two things that I think are suggested here in the text. You know, the first is this. We, we saw, and I alluded to it, when, when Jesus heals this man, he touches him. Why does he do that? He didn't need to. I mean, he could have done all sorts of things. He could have just prayed right there. Could have spit on the guy. Uh, he, could have, he could have done all sorts of things rather than touch him. But I think one of the reasons why Jesus touches him is to demonstrate to us a way of life, a posture of the gospel that says, do not be afraid. With my spirit in you, believer, do not be afraid to extend your hand to the untouchable. Do not be afraid to go to those who have suffered wrong at the hands of people in this world. Do not be afraid of those who are considered the nobodies. Do not be afraid because they are longing, longing for touch. Remember when... This was a while ago now. Uh, There's an artist by the name of Pierce Pettis in the early 90s. So this is soon after the AIDS crisis uh, had blown up and we didn't have the sort of drugs that we have now. People were just dying in these AIDS clinics. And he writes about going into this clinic and uh, seeing these people. And the song is called Stick Man. And he talks in there about the pathos of of being an AIDS patient. Yes, you know, it's a result of your own actions and choices, but there's just a a deep uh, empathy. There's a deep passion that's going on when you're dying like that. One verse of the song says this, Night sweat soaking through the sheets. Nurses make their midnight rounds. In a metal bed that creaks, he waits as eager as a child. But the staff avoids contact. They all wear masks and rubber gloves. While the stick man starves to death for just a shot of love. 
Now, we understand why they were wearing masks and rubber gloves and all of that. But the, the image is vivid. There are so many people in this world that need touch. They are the unseen, the isolated. They need to be welcomed. This is, this is what it means to, to live with a Jesus posture. It means that we promote life among those that, that don't deserve it. At every place along the way, we promote life on those that the world says don't deserve it because we know that ultimately everybody is created in the image of God. I was thinking about that, you know, this week we had a couple of things that happened in our country. We had Martin Luther King Day. We're thinking about civil rights. We're thinking about all of the ways in that we have seen uh, atrocities perpetrated in our history, uh, some systemically that still go on in different ways, uh, thinking about people made in the image of God. Later in the week, we had a, a March for Life in Washington, uh, commemorating Roe v. Wade and the legalization of abortion. And all of these come together and saying the, the posture that Jesus calls us to, the, the vision that he gives us is one of, of life for everybody. Nobody is a nobody. Everybody matters. Everybody counts. And it's a, I think it's a compelling vision. One writer puts it this way. We have a posture towards reality that is welcoming and exuberant. A vision of life that contradicts on every level the culture of death that has been ascendant in the West for the past century. Father Richard John Newhouse, in a speech dealing with broader life issues, he says this, We contend and we contend relentlessly for the dignity of the human person. Lepers, unborn, black, white, low caste system, the untouchables, the divorce, whoever it is, we contend for the dignity of every human person created in the image of likeness of God, destined from eternity for eternity. Every human person, no matter how weak or how strong, no matter how young or how old, no matter how productive or how burdensome, no matter how welcome or how inconvenient, nobody is a nobody. Nobody is unwanted. He goes on to say, as believers, as those who now are caught up in the ministry of Jesus, those who uh, are, are living under his reign that has begun, we shall not weary and we shall not rest until every unborn child is protected in law and welcomed in life. We shall not weary. We shall not rest until the elderly who have run life's course are protected against despair and abandonment, protected by the rule of law, the bonds of love. We shall not weary. We shall not rest until every young woman is given the help she needs to recognize that her problem of pregnancy is a gift of life. We shall not weary. We shall not rest as we stand at the entrance gates and the exit gates of life and every step along the way for the refugees, for those who's had their civil rights taken away, for those who are oppressed socioeconomically, for every other person that we can think of because we believe in the dignity of every single person. And this is the beauty of what Jesus does here when he reaches out his hand. And he touches this man. 
And when we are willing to allow ourselves into those places, not in our own strength, and, and let me emphasize to you, you know, when we talked about glory lived a couple of weeks ago, we said, you are in union with Jesus. So if you go out, it's not Kevin, it's not Sharon in their own power that is going into these untouchable, desolate places. It is you united to Christ. Your power is Christ in you. You have every hope, every confidence that you can go in there and you can speak a word, that you can offer a hand, that you can come along somebody, even when it's messy, even when their answers aren't obvious, because we know that we are united to Jesus. And that's our call. That's our invitation to live that posture of touch. One more thing. The posture of prayer. You, you see it in verse 16. It, it's a powerful verse. It, it, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those throwaways. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Uh, you know, I'd encourage you to think about it. Think about the desolate places. You know, in light of Ezekiel 36 that we read earlier. You know, when Jesus goes to desolate places, I'm not sure that he's not saying, this is where I'm called to go. Because one of the messianic psalms, is that, or one of the messianic promises, is that the desert will blossom like a rose. That the uninhabited will become habited. And so when Jesus is going into desolate places, it's not just because he's an introvert. Uh, he's going into the desolate places because that is where his father has called him to go. And that is where he meets his father. And I just want to emphasize prayer, not in a way that scolds you to, to, you know, pray more. I mean, we know that if we try to do any of this stuff, church-wise, life-wise, any of this without prayer, it's bound to fail with a capital F-A-I-L. You know, we left to ourselves, it's just not going to work. But what Jesus knows is that he's got a Father who loves him. And he's got a spirit who strives with him. And he is willing to go. And in the spirit of, of Psalm 131, crawl up into the lap of his heavenly father like a weaned child. And he said, Daddy, here's what's going on in the world. Here is where all of the brokenness is. This is what I'm encountering. And I'm praying that the gospel that you have called me to bring would flourish. And that the desert would blossom like a rose. And that the desolate places would once again be inhabited. Your father loves you. Your father loves you, believer. You have nothing to fear from him. He is inviting you to come aside and pray. Not as a duty, but as an opportunity to know his heart. To know the posture of the gospel even more as we seek to live it out together. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you for this text and, and what it means. We, uh, we admit that on our own we are overwhelmed. How, how can we go to the untouchables? What do you mean nobody is a nobody? I don't even like those people. But Lord, the gospel is coming and it's, 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 it's already here. Your kingdom is growing and you've invited us 
in touch with the Spirit, in union with you, to be your hands and feet. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to do so. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the way that you've made for becoming a leper in our place in order that we might be clean. For by your wounds we are healed. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.